Hi, this is Tommy Williams joining with Jack Levison for our Summer Together podcast over the book of Genesis. Uh, Jack, um, we're glad to have you uh, help us talk through Genesis together. It's uh, great to be able to have a scholar and uh, uh, help us to work through these these texts and to do it with, with uh, good humor and fun. Jack, it's wonderful. Yeah, this has been uh, really a great experience, Tommy. Thank you for this opportunity, by the way. Thanks for coming. To be in dialogue. Yeah, we're trying to die. Hey, I'm soaking it up at your feet. I feel like i got a rabbi in the office here. Same here, same here. Well, um, friends, I'm glad that you've been able to join us this uh, summer, and we continue to work through the book of Genesis for this um, Bible study. Uh, Let's catch up. We have been in the story of Jacob for the last couple weeks, and you may remember if you've been listening all summer that we talked about Jacob and Esau and their clash since the womb. Um, and even in their growing up years, and then ultimately, Jacob stealing, manipulating, pulling away the birthright from Esau. Uh, that was rightly Esau's as the firstborn. So Jacob uh, engaged in acts of deceit to take that birthright away. So the clash has continued with Jacob and Esau uh, from there. We don't hear from uh, Esau for a while, for a couple chapters in Genesis Um, Jacob goes on his journeys. Jacob gets married, as we talked about last week, through a whole rigmarole that feels like the days of our lives or some other soap opera. All my children may be the best uh, way to talk about that one. And for those who don't know, we're in Tommy's office, and he has a TV, and he said we can't tape between 2.30 and 3 because he has to watch Days of Our Lives. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. Oh, man, the, the book of Genesis is uh, is enough of a soap opera. I'm not sure we even need uh, network TV. For, it's plenty juicy. It's plenty juicy. So we were in the juicy last week with uh, Jacob and Rachel and Leah. And, and their maids. And their maids and all the children. Uh, all the children. All my children. And so uh, from there, then Jacob uh, uh, continues to have more children and, uh, and there. But we haven't heard from Esau in a while. Um, uh, ultimately, a, um, a coming back together is, is in, the, in the hopper here between Jacob and Esau. And Esau has promised, because of his growing uh, jealousy, animosity, um, uh, some would call it righteous anger at Jacob, right? Anger at Jacob for stealing his birthright. So Esau has threatened to kill Jacob, and he's in hot pursuit of Jacob. And um, that's where we essentially pick up now in, in chapter 32 um, where uh, Esau is in hot pursuit of Jacob. The last thing we have heard is that Esau is going to kill Jacob. Yeah. And Jacob is strategizing and trying to figure out how to approach Esau and Esau's army. He's got a posse coming, Jack. Esau does. So how does yeah, Jacob... How many men? Was it 400 men or something? I think a that's lot right. Of and uh, they, are, um, they are about to have an encounter. So... Yeah. And we pick it up from there. Yeah, in fact, back in chapter 27, five chapters ago was, I think, when we really met Esau, and it says in verse 41 of 27, and we're up in 32 now. Now, I, now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And so that last bedside blessing. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching. Then I will kill my brother Jacob. Um, Now, Rebecca heard about this, and she got Jacob out of the way. 
but otherwise Esau would have killed Jacob on the spot. Already. Yeah, right. already. But again, uh, Rebecca being as she was, but the words of Esau, her older son, were told to Rebecca, and here her older son, were told to Rebecca. So she sent and called Jacob her younger son and said to him, Behold, there's a plan. Therefore, my son, obey my voice, arise, flee to Laban, my brother in Haran, and stay with him a while until your brother's fury turns away. Well, it's been 14 years. Right. And uh, Esau's fury, presumably, as far as Jacob knows, has not, has not dissipated. Right. It's only grown, we can assume. And so Esau's got his posse, his army that's coming uh, for this yet another clash with Jacob. Jacob's yes. strategizing. Jacob has a different approach, Jack. He, yeah. Jacob's trying to figure out how this can be not a clash, right? Exactly. Or how they break the, the pattern. They break the, um, the way they've always been functioning with each other since even they were inside their mother's womb, right? Yep. Here's a moment where Jacob's going to seek to put a stop to that or at least to try to break that, break that pattern. He's going to use his brain to try to forestall Esau's brawn, which has been the pattern, the family pattern since birth. Mm-hmm. That's what it's been, yeah. But, it, but it's in that context that we have this uh, Jacob spends the night. So, you know, right now, well, you know, leading up to, this is, this is the hard part when you do a lectionary or even Sunday school we pick the familiar stories. Here's Jacob wrestling with an angel. But before this, in chapter 32, you actually have, doing exactly what, Tommy, what you're saying, um, Jacob sends messengers to his brother Esau in the land of Sarah and is trying to find a way of mollifying Esau. What can Jacob do to make sure that when they meet, Esau will be satisfied that Jacob has given them enough. So he's trying to negotiate a deal, the art of the negotiation. He's trying to negotiate a deal with the messengers, sending messengers out to Esau's messengers as well. Right, right. Yeah, and it's in that context that you have Jacob spending the night in verse 13. So you want to pick that one up? Sure. So Jacob spends the night, in the context of all of this that, that we're describing here, Jacob spends the night, and from what he had with him, he took a present for his brother Esau, um, 200 goat, female goats, 20 male goats, 200 ewes, 20 rams, 30 camels, and a whole bunch else, cows and bulls and donkeys of every... I didn't even know they had male and female donkeys. Yeah. 20 females. I always thought donkeys had... I thought they were neuter. But I grew up on Long Island, so what would I know? <laughs> I'm not a Texan by, by birth. That's right. No. So, we're, so we got donkeys and donkeys and more donkeys. Uh, and he delivers these into the hands of his servants. And to the servants, he gives instructions. Um, and, and these are gifts that are a sign, Jack. Um, a sign, or are they a peace offering? Uh, uh, sign of care, provision. Uh, he almost kind of reaches into the Esau playbook. He, Esau cares about these things, right? Esau cares about... He's a hunter. He's a hunter. I mean, he cares about this kind of uh, provision. Yeah. And so you might say Jack, Jacob is sort of meeting Esau on Esau's terms in a way. Exactly what he's doing. He's meeting Esau in Esau's uh, territory, yeah. And, you know, I don't know what a drove is. I didn't look it up, but you have three droves... 
of giving and gifts and servants. So you have sort of, you talk about a drove of, what are we talking about, a drove of? Yeah, sort of a wave of this and A that wave, and yeah. That, yeah. Waves of gifts coming. Here are servants, and they bring gifts. Here are wives, and they bring gifts. Here are servants, and they bring gifts. So that by the idea is, by the time Esau meets Jacob, Esau will be fine with Jacob. So in verses 19 and 20, Jacob likewise instructed the second and the third wave and all who followed the droves, you shall say the same thing to Esau when you meet him. So wear him down with my generosity and you shall say, moreover, your servant Jacob is behind us. So the idea is these waves of gifts will soften Jacob by the time Jacob meets Esau, everything will be fine. So it softens Esau so that when Jacob and Esau finally meet, Esau has been bought off. Here's basically. a bowl of soup. You know, the problem is, I don't think Esau can be bought off. Everything we know of him, uh, you don't know that he's going to be bought off but Jacob thinks he can buy him off. How much can I? Jacob is his uncle's nephew, Laban's nephew. Jacob is going to buy off, give him what he can to buy off and save his own skin. So all these waves and then Jacob, and then it comes tonight. So the yes. present passed on ahead of him, and he himself spent that night behind in the camp. So Jacob, yeah, and he spends the night alone. He spends the night alone. Uh, picking up in verse 24 of chapter 32, Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. Jack, this makes me think about the hymn, right? Come, O Thou Traveler Unknown, right? I don't really, I, I've, I've only sung that once or yeah, twice. Yeah, we sing yeah. it fairly often yeah. here, but it's a recounting of the story here of Jacob wrestling here. Oh. So um, Certainly Jacob, a better song than Jacob's Ladder. Yeah, 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 yeah. We haven't sung Jacob Ladder here in a while. Good, that's okay. You can do without. <laughs> um, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket. Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day is breaking. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. And then the man said, you shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with humans and have prevailed. What in the world? <laughs> what in the world, Jack? So it's a man, it's God. Who has yeah. Jacob fought with? Yes, I mean, All it's like the three men, right? Uh, who come to Abraham's tent. They're the Lord, but they're... they're human or angelic beings and we don't know whom he's wrestling with some you know and, and by the way angel here does it say angel here it does, does it not say just man it says man in the nrsv yeah, you don't want to think of some angelic being with wings or anything this is someone and again uh, there was one of my favorite books and we can put this on the facebook page one of the best books I ever read in graduate school and I still see references to it was called the elusive presence by a scholar called Samuel Terrian. And in this book, he talked about how God is both present and absent simultaneously. That God is elusive, but in God's elusiveness, God is present. And I think one of the key things about being a person of faith is 
discerning God's presence in apparent absence and not assuming God's apparent absence means God is not present. And this is one of those mysterious stories where you know God is present in this wrestling because everything changes for Jacob. But again, we're not in the book of Exodus. God is not going to divide the Red Sea. That's not how God works in Genesis. Right. This is much more mysterious. Much more mysterious. Yeah. Much more, in a, in a way, very realistic for us as human beings. Yeah. Yeah. So here Jacob asks for a blessing. Right. Twice. Well, he asks for a blessing. I have this in my notes here. He asks for a blessing. And then later on, the, the person blesses him. So after all, he asked for a blessing up front and then gets a blessing later on, and you get a sense of his persistence. So where does he say, bless me? In verse 26, and then in verse 29, Yes. Um, finally there he blessed him. So the blessing doesn't happen right away. Um, I'll not let you go unless you bless me. And, you know, there are many sermons that could be preached from this. But I do think there is a need to wrestle with God that uh, goes beyond Sunday prayers. When I was in college, this is not something I had intended to talk about, my father was not a believer. He was not a Christian. And in my freshman year of college, I was learning from a Bible study I was in about intercessory prayer, where you take that person onto yourself and you pray and pray. And I went into a storage unit that held the, the fold-away beds. And as a freshman, um, I'm not this, probably not that this pious now, but as a freshman, I went in there and I would go and I would pray for my father for hours. And then in my sophomore or junior year one day my father called me and he said I have good news and I have bad news the bad news is you're going to be with me in heaven you're going to have to endure me in heaven the good news is I was baptized today and I remember just praying and praying and praying and no one could have thought my father would become a Christian I don't think anyone would have believed. I mean, he was a good man. Integrity, strength, but faith was not really much in his vocabulary uh, when I went to college. And I remember wrestling with God in prayer. And I, I believe that we can yeah. wrestle God into a blessing. Yeah. Um, and I don't know if that comes from this story, sure, but sure. I think it's true. But Jacob is persistent here, and that's one of the qualities, of course, in the New Testament that are often talked about Absolutely. in relationship to prayer, whether it's some of Jesus' own parables or the Apostle Paul, that being persistent in prayer is a part of the life of prayer, wrestling with God. Uh, even the Psalms themselves are... The Psalms are a beautiful testimony to an honest life of prayer and wrestling. And Jacob really makes something what feels like, it reads like a demand on the one oh, he's wrestling yes. with. I will not let go until you bless me. Yeah, I mean, again, he's negotiating, mm. but in a good way. It's an honest negotiation. Um, you know, Jason, Jacob has negotiated. I'll give you stew. You give me your birthright. 
he negotiated for the daughter. Okay, I'll work seven years, you give me Rachel. He gets Leah instead, he works another seven years. He's constantly negotiating, but this time he's negotiating bare. You know what's interesting also? He's asking for a blessing. Right? And the birthright blessing was already given him, right, from his father, but given under circumstances that were that did not hold integrity, right? Right. And does he somehow know that? Does he, what, you know, I don't know what the connection is or isn't here, but Jacob received even uh, under coercion, he still, he received a blessing from his father, the birthright, um, but here he, he's still asking. He's still asking for, for a blessing from God, from the whom he, one he's wrestling with. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, it's sad. journey. And the interesting thing is he can ask for that blessing because he's, he's in the pit. He's in the ring. I don't mean to use a kind of a boxing image, but he's in the wrestling. Where do you wrestle? In the wrestling circle. I hated wrestling in junior high because I was immediately pinned. <laughs> I never had it in me. But, you know, it says in verse 25, when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he struck him on the hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then the man who wrecked Jacob's hip hip says, let me go, for the day is breaking. Jacob is holding on to him. He may not be able to stand, but Jacob will not let go. And Jacob said, I'll not let you go unless you bless me. I mean, Jacob can't even stand on his right or left hip, whichever hip it is. He can't stand, but he can hold on tight. And he can say, no, I can't beat you now, but I'm not going to let you go. You bless me. And boy, what if we had a church full of people like that? Wouldn't it be great to have everybody walk in with their hip bruised, but knowing they wrestled through the night? I mean, imagine what we would be like in terms of being fruitful, multiplying, filling the earth, and being a blessing to the nations if all of us limped in knowing we'd wrestled face to face. And in fact, what does he name this place? Peniel, face of God. So we don't know if it's an angel, we don't know if it's a messenger, but Jacob knows he's wrestled with God, and he's come away hurt and bruised and blessed. And again, that's that world where you have all of them together. Blessing and bruising go hand in hand, yeah. right? Yeah. It's not one or the other. You don't just get blessed and you don't just get bruised. You get bruised and blessed simultaneously and you walk away to change the world. Yeah, it's mysterious how those things can go together, but I was thinking as you were talking about this experience in a church where I just arrived as their pastor and they had a massive hurricane that wrecked the community. Uh, people couldn't get to church on Sunday morning. It was Electricity was out for weeks. It was terrible. Uh, but, but on that coming Sunday morning, anybody that could walk, walked their way to that church. And to walk to inside that sanctuary was to see a bunch of battered, bruised, uh, wind-swept, worn-out people but, I mean, when we had prayer time during that service, oh my those people felt like they had been through the storm and come on the other side of it, yeah. that they had not relented away, that they had leaned in, they had 
Um, they, they had endured it. They had persisted. Uh, you may say they had wrestled. And then they showed up for worship and for prayer. Mm. I mean, it was powerful to hear about the signs of, uh, you know, the signs of goodness and, and uh, just the pure survival of, of the people in that community through that storm. So it makes me think about that when I... That very, yeah. Yeah. Do we have more time? Yeah, have a couple more minutes. Okay, I want to I talk about something else as well because, you know, um, one of the interesting things we've been talking about in these podcasts is the way stories get put together and yeah. how they interpret each other. There's no commentary with the Bible. It, these stories interpret each other. And I think it's interesting. I, I, when I was reading this, I thought, why is this wrestling with the angel stuck right in the middle of meeting Jacob? So... You know, in verse 21 of chapter 32, Jacob sends his presence ahead, these gifts, and he himself spent the night in the camp. And then after the story of wrestling, it, said, it picks up in 33.1. Now Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming. Clearly the wrestling with the angel is a complete interruption in the story. I mean, you got to say to yourself, why did they stick that in here? Did they have no better place for it, Right. Well, I was thinking about this, and I may be wrong, but before Jacob wrestles with the angels, he puts everybody up in front of him between him and Esau. So you've got everybody on the other side of the river, all the gifts, all the servants, all the wives, all the livestock, and Jacob is back here behind the river. And that's what he intends to do. He thinks they'll soften Jacob by giving him all these droves or waves of gifts. And then in 33.1, it looks like it's going to happen, that Esau is going to get all these gifts and eventually meet Jacob. So Jacob looked up and saw Esau coming and 400 men with him. So he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two maids. And the idea is if Esau kills one group, the other can get away, and if, you know, and vice versa. He put the maids with their children in front, then Leah with her children, and Rachel and Joseph last of all. He still presumably is behind everyone, but then look at the next verse. He himself went on ahead of them, bowing himself to the ground this limping man bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near his brother. Now, physically, I don't know how this works because he's on the one side of the river, presumably, but something has happened in the night of wrestling. Before he wrestles the angel, he lets everybody else do the work of softening up Esau. But you get the sense that after he wrestles the angel, he puts himself up in front. It's as if fear is gone. It's as if he's wrestled with God. He is an injured man. He limps and bows his way into Esau's presence, not from behind, but going in front of them. He's changed. Why does he? Why is this story of wrestling with the, the man, the angel God, put interrupting the meeting with Esau because the strategy changes. When we have been in God's face, what else is there to fear? 
when we have prevailed and wrestled with God and we come away bruised and blessed, what else is there? And so he goes in front, bowing and limping all the way to Esau. Yeah, this, I have this image as you're talking of surrender. There's this deep, deep surrender both in the night and, I mean, that's coupled with that wrestling, right? But he, by the time he gets to this moment out front towards Esau, he's this, he's laid open, right? He's laid open. Yeah, he has, he's offering himself in a more, in a less fearful way um, to his brother, come what may, right? Uh, come what may. Right. And you know what comes? Yeah. Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and fell on his neck and kissed him, and they wept. Esau didn't take one of those gifts until Jacob made him at the very end. Reconciliation seems so hard with a life of 14 years between them and more. Jacob cannot imagine reconciliation without an enormous negotiation and manipulation of the situation. But you know what? He didn't need to. Esau was ready to kiss and weep and run and embrace and fall on his neck. At the end of it, it was just the two of them, right? At the end, it's just the two. Everybody's Nothing between them. Yep. And then, you know, then Esau looks up and saw the women and the children. But for that moment, the music is powerful. The, the camera is only on those two kissing and hugging and embracing and weeping together for all of the struggle they've had from the womb. And none of the gifts Jacob plotted and planned to give made a bit of difference. Right. No mandrakes in this scene. Right. Just the two of them. Just the two. It's a great place to conclude. Thanks so much, Jack.